Well, let's, uh, let's pray and uh, we'll get started, okay? Thank you, Lord, for your word and for our opportunity to come together and study it. So, Father, I pray that you'll just fill our lives with the truth of who you are and the power with how you work through our lives, not just now, but in all of history. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've come to verse 10 in Exodus 4. This is the uh, this is the next excuse that uh, that Moses gives on why the Lord needs to look elsewhere for uh, someone to be the leader of the people. Verse ten. Moses said to Yahweh, "I beseech you, Adonai." Okay. Now you'll notice. Hear that Moses addresses the Lord as Adonai. So he's, in the culture of his day, he is giving deference, of course, to the Lord, to the power of the Lord. But he also is showing by addressing him as Adonai. He shows here that that he is owned by Yahweh. So Yahweh is his master. He's the slave, so to speak. Yahweh is the the Lord of the household, and and he is a follower. So he addresses him, uh, Adonai. Moses said to Yahweh, I beseech you, Adonai, I'm not a man of words. Uh, In other words, I'm not an eloquent man. Neither from yesterday nor from the day before yesterday nor from the time you have spoken to your servant, for I am heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. Okay. This excuse has to do, others had to do with his qualifications. This one has to do with a, what, he, what he tries to present to the Lord as a personal problem which he claims as some kind of speech impediment. However, the, the, uh, the problem of, of his speech seems to lessen a great deal as he goes into his ministry. And it starts out, Aaron is his, is his spokesperson, but then not, not far in there, just Moses is doing all the talking, you know. It's kind of a weak excuse, I guess, um, as were the others. What kind of excuse are you going to give to God Almighty who made you and knows you and who made everything and calls you into service and you're going to tell God who made you that you're not qualified? That's just kind of silly. Uh, and that's... Huh? Most people think that it meant that he stuttered, um, heavy of mouth, and heavy of tongue. Uh, there's, there's not the Hebrew. There's not a Hebrew way of saying stutter, at least not here. But maybe that's what it meant. Um, but it it follows along the same pattern of the other excuses that he had given. It's it's as though. You know, and we're all guilty of this in some way, especially if we're ever called into service, to say to the Lord, you know, I think you overlooked something, God. 
You know, well, he don't overlook nothing. He's, he's not like that. Um, you may not have taken this into consideration, Lord. I, I'm, I'm, uh, what's that comedian's name? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, Tim Hawkins. Tim Hawkins, you know, he would say, Yahweh, <laughs> I've been talking to sheep all this time. Uh, instead of, uh, and I suppose, whoops, and I suppose there would be something to that. It's hard, I, 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 I've never tried to talk to a sheep. Uh, I've talked to dogs a lot, and... Uh, and sometimes my dog makes a lot of sense just by looking at me. You know? uh, but I think a, a sheep is supposed to be dumber than a dog. Uh, so he has spent 40 years talking to sheep. And now he has to go and talk to Egyptians. You know, they're the top of the world when it comes to so-called earthly intellect. I'm heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. But Yahweh said to him, Who gave man a mouth, or who makes one dumb or deaf, or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? So Yahweh seems to take exception and says to Moses, Whatever you think is wrong with your mouth and tongue, I made it that way, and I'm still the one who is commissioning you into service. Um, verse 12. So now go. I'll be with your mouth. And I will instruct, instruct you what you shall speak or what you shall say, what you shall speak. This is the beauty of serving the Lord. You don't have to worry about the strength or ability part. And you really don't have to worry about the, um, the confrontations along with it's going to be tough. Nobody in this word called into service can bypass the tough part, which is people threatening, intimidating. In some cases, as in the Apostle Paul physical abuse, you know, just all kinds of abuse. That's, that's part of what it is, certainly. But it is never the lack of ability. The Lord, I've told you this how many times, but I keep going back to what my daddy told me a long time ago. He said, if the Lord makes a bill, he'll pay it. So if, if God calls anybody into service, uh, Moses or anybody else. God hasn't, God doesn't have an oops moment, you know. Oh, I forgot about that, Moses. Well, you know, maybe we ought to rethink this, pal. Uh, no, it just, it's just, that's impossible. Um, great lesson for all of us is, is ver are verses 11 and 12. Who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? I'm with you. I'm going to tell you what to say. Moses still hints at the possibility that he's going to have to depend on his own strength to do this 
tremendous task. I mean, there's, of course, there's no task anywhere close to, to the Son of God dying on the cross. Apart from that, consider, consider how tremendous this task is. Everything that falls on Moses' shoulders, hundreds of thousands, if not a couple of million people, um, the greatest, greatest empire in the world, or at least in his part of the world, um, this great king who's going to oppose him, and the Lord says up front, he's not going to like it, he's going to oppose you. Not only that, I'm going to harden his heart. Well, <laughs> well, thanks, you know. Um, all, all of the then, then to take them across the wilderness, uh, and to keep, and to keep a couple of million people happy and fed and watered, uh, and healthy and clothed. It's just, it's 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 unfathomable. It's just you can't imagine the task that lies ahead, how in the world could Moses, he has, he has no, when he sets out, he has no government, he has, he has no resources, he doesn't tax his, except for the resources that the Egyptians, by giving them gold, will give them. But when you're out in the middle of a desert, there's nowhere to spend your gold, you know what I'm saying? The, the, there's not a public or a Win Dixie or whatever out there, um, it's uh, it's it's a, it's another story. And then of course, the scarcity of water, just all kinds of problems. How how could it be otherwise? Now, let me add this to that. Spiritual leadership. When God calls people into spiritual leadership, when He equips resources, calls impresses, unctions, however you want to say it, uh, and, and gives us an, an unmistakable call into service, um, it, is, it is as equally daunting as what Moses faced, maybe in different ways. Uh, think of, though, however, today, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, it has it has it has pierced the hearts of people from from the time of of the early church until today, and it's a story that is unbelievable, except for the divine intervention of the grace of God. A story that talks about somebody who was virgin born who never sinned whose place in the world had been carefully predicted all the way to the place, time and family into which he would be born all of those prophecies that build themselves all the way until finally the Christ of course in the course of time is born born of a woman uh, he'll never sin in all of his life. Uh, he'll be despised by people. Son of God despised by people. Uh, he, he will die on a cross as a criminal, condemned, 
and uh, practically alone, son of God, son of God. He would bear upon himself the sins of his own and he would be buried and would be very dead three days, resurrection in glorification, 40 days time to finish the seminary education of his apostles. And then hundreds of people would watch as he would defy gravity and float away and then disappear into a cloud with the promise that he from heaven will direct the work of his church. And at a time when penniless Jews were promised the empowerment and ability to go into the world and change lives even in the Roman Empire, places where people had no concept of monotheism, of one God. There was just something they couldn't, I mean, you know, if there was wind, there was a God of the wind. If there was fire, there was a God of the fire, so forth and so on. And this, of course, Hebrew people would have understood that. Israelites would have understood that. Gentiles, especially in far outlying areas, would not have understood that. Had never, had never come across anything like that. Had already, were already in a mood to despise Jews because of their arrogant religion at that point in time. That he would direct such that there was a guarantee that people would come into this salvation. Guaranteed that people would come into this salvation and then the promise that the world would go into such a way that when it reached a point, he would come again in power and glory on a horse followed by multitudes on horses in an era when we don't really ride a horse, much less in the air. Uh, and that just his appearance would destroy his enemy, the word of God like a sword from his time. This, this is a, this was a fantastic gospel. Nobody could believe that except by the convicting and regenerating power of Almighty God. It's impossible. You, well, you're spiritually dead anyway. God's going to have to, God's going to have to resurrect you spiritually and gift you, gift you into your salvation. So it's a, it's a divine and providential thing in the lives of those who are called into service today. Uh, how, you know, we, we've all, and you'll listen, you'll listen to how people went uh, into a, a foreign land. You'll hear this next week, but people go into places where maybe not even the Roman Catholic Church had already somehow showed up with a Bible. And yet people come to a saving knowledge of, of Christ I've read too many stories, heard too many missionaries. It's just a, 
It's a miraculous thing that God is in control of, obviously. Well, my point is this. In a sense, we, we, face, we face the same obstacles and, and difficulties in a sense that Moses faced. I mean, I know that he had difficulties that we'll never have. We have difficulties he would never have. Um, but here's, 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 the great, here's the great promise, verse 12. Go, I will be your mouth. I will instruct you what you shall speak. The beautiful thing of this is that God assumes all of this responsibility himself. Moses just has to do what God says do and don't worry about it. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just, just do what I tell you to do. It'll take care of itself. Brother Charles, how, how much do we think uh, Moses knew about the one true God at this point? Remember, he was raised as an Egyptian, right? He was raised in his Egyptian. However, uh, I think, I think because when he was banished, having killed the Egyptian because of his brothers, I think, I think he understood and and would have had access to whatever scriptures they had at that day. I mean, you know, the covenant with Abraham and all these things early on in Genesis; those had to have been recorded and preserved somehow. Um, with uh, with the people of God, so I think I think he under, he's 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 way off in a lot of ways, and he's a work in progress, as are all of the Israelites at this point in time, uh, and they have to learn through through difficulty and and have to walk through the fire. But but I think I think he is I think he is aware. I, I we studied this. I can't say. I can't say that before the experience of the burning bush that he understood, well, we just don't know, that, that, that he understood that, that there was the true and living God and there weren't lesser gods. I, I don't know about all that, but I know, I know that after the experience of the burning bush, he comes to realize, at least at that point, and maybe Israelites realize it as well, but they knew, for laying aside all of this stuff about Egyptian gods and goddesses in which they were, the midst of, they were in the midst of it, laying aside all of that, they at least had a strong, I believe, a strong belief as far as they could in the covenant God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob probably already in some way believed him to be the, the almighty God. Of course, their scriptures would have presented, if, if anything had been preserved, and certainly it was, their scriptures would have presented Yahweh in such a way. You know, there is no other God. Uh, I'm the almighty El, El, El Elyon or whatever. Uh, I'm the almighty God. But I don't think, we see here with, with Moses arguing, he's kind of debating with God about his calling to service. It's obvious that he still doesn't have a high enough understanding of the true and living God. He, he somehow thinks he can debate his way out of the call and even calls God into some kind of 
correction. You know, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really the guy. I can't speak well. And they're not going to like me and this kind of thing. I think, though, I think, and I think we covered this earlier, but I think you see that in the life of every genuine God-called prophet and apostle. They just don't feel worthy. They get tired. They don't want to do it anymore. They whine. Um, uh, you know, that's just, that's just part of it. And, uh, and God never backs off. And, you know, he says, well, that doesn't matter. I don't care what you say, you know. Elijah, what happens to him? Kill me, God. There's no sense me going on. I'm the only one left. How many times do people ever feel that way? I'm the only one who's got any spiritual sense around here. And I, I can't handle this whole thing by myself. And the best thing that can happen to you is what God did. <laughs> he, he gave him some food. <laughs> here, have some donuts and coffee. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't you think, though, that because he was raised as an Egyptian, he saw the Egyptian records of the story of Joseph? He, yeah, well, of course the Egyptians would have understood the Hebrew way, and the Hebrews certainly would have understood the Egyptian way. We're told in the New Testament he was, he was instructed in all of the ways of the Egyptians. Now, you know, his cosmology wasn't the best in the world. Let me see if I can remember. Of course, the earth was flat. Um, and was it his, was it Diabach and Marduk who, was it that, was that his cosmology where one slew the other and the victor would spit on the slain body of the other god and wherever he spit, men would come up and then men would spit and women would come up. And women, that's a real romantic way of creating woman. Women would spit. I'd give, I'd give a dime to see that. And, uh, and animals would come up, you know. So when you read Moses was trained in the way of all the Egyptians, he had some weird training. <laughs> uh, but he certainly would have understood the highest philosophies and histories of the day. Already knew what? He was Hebrew. He knew that because he went down. Oh, yeah, yeah, and and this was a growing. Well, I mean, maybe maybe even his mother didn't hide it from him. We have to forget everything that we saw in Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. We we have to just forget that movie. It just it you know I'm not sure it was that way, uh, and that's hard to do. We let's see how many times are they going to show it on TV between now and Easter. The Ten Commandments. It's the Easter movie. You know, Easter ain't nothing about Jesus and the resurrection, right? It's always about Moses and the Ten Commandments. Uh, what can I say? Uh, wherever, how I think the bottom line is this: wherever something was lacking, God took care of it. How long would his mother? Kept taking care of him. I know she came. Well, un until she couldn't keep him quiet anymore. Um, you know when they brought her. To yeah, but she then she, then she was the nursemaid. I'm gonna. Well, okay. You tell me how long did didn't Charles? They, didn't they 
Yeah, but I mean, my question is, how long could you have kept Charles CO two quiet as a baby? I'm not talking about when. He I was am. I mean, you know. <laughs> when he was put in the river. I'm talking about how much influence did she have when she came back to? The oh, okay. Family. Probably three or four, five years, maybe something like that. What she could have known, yeah. She had enough faith to put him away. How long did his sister deal with him? Once the mama came on the scene, she went on back. Probably the same amount of time. It doesn't say, but I'm just going to say probably the same amount of time. I don't think they would have let a Hebrew girl keep raising him. He was, at some point, taken out of the care of the Hebrew nursemaid and put into the training of, of Egyptian uh, schoolmasters. Age five or six. Oh, yeah, well, that's true. Um, he, he knew a lot, but he don't know nothing like he's going to know in the next 40 years. Uh, so, main thing, God said, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to teach you. I think there's a very important phrase here, I will teach you. See, he, he needed to be taught. Everybody needs to be taught. I was way back in at a former church many, many, many years ago. I mean, many years ago. I had hair. This was BB, before baldness. <laughs> it, was, it was dark. And the other half of me had not grown yet. So uh, I was eating lunch with an old elderly statesman, pastor, father in the ministry. And he started it. He asked me what all was going on. I said, so I started whining. Man, I got this guy and I got that guy and I got these people against each other and biting each other in the throats. And Man, I, you know, he said, well, <laughs> he just kept eating. He said, well, Charles, they just need to be taught. <laughs> so I said, <laughs> Okay, that sounded, that sounded awfully simple. But he was right, he was right. You know, people just need to be taught. Well, Moses needed to be taught. I'm going to teach you, he says. So let's look at the next uh, two or three verses. But he said, I beseech you, Adonai, send now your message with whom you would send. Okay. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> Up until this point, he's just saying, I'm not qualified. But now he says, you need another guy. That's, 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 he takes a different approach here with, uh, and this really isn't an excuse. This is, this is kind of a rejection, you know. I, get, to get another guy. And Yahweh's wrath was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he will surely speak. And behold, he is coming forth toward you. And when he sees you, he'll rejoice in his heart. See, Yahweh already knows all this. You can't wiggle out of this thing. Poof. You know, okay, uh, this is just to know. Well, here comes your brother. Okay, you know, it's okay. You shall speak to him, 
And let me go back up to 14. He will rejoice in his heart. This will make him happy to be a part of this, to help you. He'll be glad to help you. You shall speak to him. You shall put the words into his mouth, and I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will instruct both of you what you shall do. See, there's, there's just nowhere to go for Moses. And he will speak for you to the people, and it will be that he will be your speaker, and you will be his leader. And you shall take this staff in your hand with which you shall perform the signs. Now, you remember last time God said, here are three things. <coughs> Moses says, well, what, if, what if they don't? What's in your hand? Oh, man, I've had this thing a long time. Throw it down. You know, you remember the, we saw it last time. And there were, there were three miraculous things that happened. There was sign number one and then sign number two and sign number three. And so, so Yahweh says, you know, you're, you're armed with three miracles here. Take this staff in your hand with which you shall perform the signs. So, so the Lord knew that this was, this was Moses' <laughs> secret weapon. Moses went and returned to Yether, or Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go now and return to my brothers who are in Egypt, and let me see whether they are still alive. So Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. So I suppose this was sort of a... Uh, this was just sort of a courtesy, I guess. Of course, <laughs> Jethro would have recognized the fact that Moses wasn't there anymore. Uh, so he may as well give him the real reason. I have to go back to my brothers. Go in peace. Yahweh said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the people who sought your life have died. The memory of the pathetic performance that you gave when you thought it was all up to you and you killed that Egyptian. All those people are dead so you won't have to answer for all of that. There's not a warrant in the post office that says wanted dead or alive Moses. All that's passed. The Pharaoh that you knew growing up and the Pharaoh that gave you such a hard time, he's dead. All of the officials of his court are dead. The woman who was your Egyptian, I mean, all those people, they're dead. So that was taken care of. That's a, that's a big problem. You know, it's one thing to start at this point and go forward. It's another thing to come to this point and then have to make up for all kind of a mess that's behind you and then go forward. So he won't have to make up for his mess that's all been taken care of. They're dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, mounted them on, on a donkey, returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. This ain't Moses' staff no more, see. This is God's staff in his hand. Very important thing to remember. Yahweh said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see all the signs I've placed in your hand and perform them before Pharaoh. But I will strengthen his heart, and he will not send out the people. <laughs> I can tell you. 
Later on, God calls a prophet. He says, go and preach to the people. And then God adds this addendum, but they ain't going to listen to you. <laughs> Keep preaching, but then they're going to get mean to you. They're going to mess with you. See, I mean, oh, man, I'd like to have been surprised, <laughs> you know. This is really preparing Moses. You know, Moses understood the power of Egypt. They, they were, I guess they were the culture that everybody wanted to copy. And, you know, um, so Moses has to be prepared for the truth that it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to deal with Pharaoh and to deal with Egypt. And you shall say to Pharaoh, so said Yahweh, my firstborn son is Israel. Now, you know, the firstborn dedicated to Yahweh, the firstborn in that culture was the strength of the household. So I say to you, send out my son so that he will worship me. But if you refuse to send him out, behold, I'm going to slay your firstborn son. Now that would have been a pretty serious thing to say to Pharaoh. The focus here is on firstborn son. Of course, Israel carries within itself the only begotten son of God, right? So... Verse 24, now he was on the way in an inn and Yahweh met him and sought to put him to death. This is a, an obscure passage, but I think if you take it in its, in its whole, it, it, it speaks for itself pretty much. So Zipporah took a sharp stone, severed her son's foreskin and cast it to his feet. And she said, for you are a bridegroom of blood to me or a husband of blood to me. So he released him, as Yahweh released Moses. And she said, a bridegroom of blood concerning the circumcision. The covenant relationship is what this is all about. God has made an irrevocable covenant with Israel. It started with Abraham. A big part of the covenant was the circumcision of every male child on the eighth day. This, this, had, this had sort of fallen away in that time. Moses had not taken care to circumcise his, his son, probably both of them. The, the eldest one is mentioned here. Maybe it was that the Midianite woman was offended. I don't know if Moses just didn't take care to take care of that. But how can the man who is going to lead the covenant people because of the covenant out of Egypt, how can he do this if he is not completely obedient himself and in, and in recognition completely of the covenant? You know, we, we've gone through a lot of Psalms on Wednesday nights and there's that chesed, there's that Hebrew word about covenant love or covenant loyalty. God assumes all of this upon himself. God, God will see to it that the, the covenant bond is always there. Even when Israel gets into sin and everything else, God does whatever it takes to bring them back to where they need to be because he assumes the responsibility of, of, the, of the bond of that covenant. God does. 
it's the same thing here because uh, obviously circumcision is directly related to covenant to the covenant between Yahweh and the seed of Abraham. So this is something that has to be seen as important in the life of Moses, uh, Zipporah notwithstanding. She obviously is, uh, is, is not too uh, thrilled uh, about the practice and the spilling of the blood and so forth. But that doesn't matter. This is a very important part of the relationship between Yahweh and, uh, and his chosen people. So this is something that has to be taken care of before he and his family get back uh, to the Israelites, to the Hebrew people there in Egypt. Do you think it, is this would kind of represent today what we call baptism, where we talk about when you baptize, you die to the old dad? There, there are many who, well, you know, it's an old covenant and a new covenant, and there are, there are some who would say, you know, there are many who would, who would, make, the, uh, who would make the comparison. Uh, the only thing is in believer's baptism, you know, you have someone who, of his own volition, is going, in this case, it was on the eighth day, and the, the baby child had no say in it at all. Uh, and it was an obvious and outward sign. Uh, comparison you give up the old way for the new way instead of an actual death. Okay, in that case, yeah, uh, there, there is a, there, in that regard, there is a comparison uh, that can be made. Okay, I'm going to stop there. We've, we've, uh, no, I'm not. We're nearly through this chapter. <laughs> you don't listen. The Methodists will all be through at Cracker Barrel if we wait about 20 more minutes. And then we can go right in, right? Verse 27. Yahweh said to Aaron, Go toward Moses to the desert. So he went and met him on the mount of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of Yahweh with which we had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him. It's, it doesn't tell us exactly how Yahweh or in what manner Yahweh spoke to Aaron. But Aaron has a commission in much the same way that Moses did because it was obvious that Yahweh here deals directly with Aaron and in that, and in that commissioning makes him understand that he is to be subservient to Moses, that Moses is his servant but that Aaron is to be a servant of Moses and the whole thing is going to work out to the will of God. Moses then took time to explain. And there wasn't a whole lot to explain. You know, hey, I was out there tending sheep, minding my own business. Bush was on fire, firing everyone out. I walked over there to look at it. Things started talking to me. And then when it was talking to me, I started talking back to it. And it started telling me, what to do and I realized it wasn't an it it was him he gave me his name he told me this is what I'm supposed to do maybe 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 he picked up the stand this is the gospel according to Charles you can take it or leave it maybe he said Aaron I want to show you something poof look at that snake you know or whatever um, but the fact that Yahweh spoke to Aaron tells us that Aaron is willingly moving into this thing and that obviously he is an important part of the whole process. 
So let's close it out here. Moses and Aaron went and they assembled all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that Yahweh had spoken to Moses and he performed the signs before the eyes of the people. Those three signs with his staff, remember? And the people believed and they heard that Yahweh had... Remember, Yahweh said this would happen. He said, don't worry. If the first one don't get them, the second one will. If the second one don't get them, the third one will. Don't worry. And the people believed and they heard that Yahweh had remembered the children of Israel, that he saw their affliction, and they kneeled and prostrated themselves. This thing is getting off to a good start. This is a good start. It's going to get bumpy, but it's getting off to a good start. So we're going to stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the joy that we have of studying it and reflecting upon your, your grace and your almightiness. Bless us and help us as we seek to serve you in our days. In Jesus' name, amen.